the vital way, where ancient wisdom meets the cutting edge to optimize your vitality and performance. There are no right ways, just better ways. Welcome, I'm Logan Christopher, and this is the Vital Way Podcast. We have another exciting episode for you today. Uh, not to be confused with the former 49ers quarterback, Dr. Steve Young, <laughs> who's with us here today, and I'm sure you hear that all the time, right? <laughs> yes, I am very glad that he's no yeah. longer playing. Yeah, it's probably died playing, down a little I bit. that all the time. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Steve Young serves as the Director of Fitness and Physical Therapy for Body Solutions in Voorhees, New Jersey, where he coordinates the physical therapy, personal training, medical massage, performance training, and nutritional consultation services. And that's just one of the things he's involved in. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting Steve at a recent event, and as we got to talking, we found out we kind of had a lot of ideas in common about health and how we both looked at different levels and all these different areas and how they get put together. So I thought I'd bring him on here. And I, I really liked, as I was looking online at some of your websites and stuff, one of the titles you had lift, listed was Chief Body Healer. So that, <laughs> that's really cool. So welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this should be fun. So we decided, I mean, there's so many things we could talk about, but uh, we decided to focus a bit on weight loss for this call because, uh, well, we haven't actually talked a lot about weight loss specifically on the Vital Weight podcast before, and since that's a area of interest for a large part of the population, I thought it'd be good, and I uh, really admire Steve's approach to health. So uh, we're going to get into lots of detail on that, but before we do, is there anything else you want to mention about your story that's important before we dive into the questions, Steve? Uh, sure, yeah. I, I feel like, well, one, you know, I've been sort of pursuing weight loss and let's just say, you know, getting a better body for you know, since I was 14, so 25, 26 years. And mm-hmm. probably the, the important piece of information for everyone to hear is that I, I've done it both ways. And what I mean by that is I've approached it from a very what I would consider, you know, uh, manipulative, structured, weigh my foods, very, you know, regimented way into now, which is this complete flow process where it's about relationships. And so, you know, I guess as we talk, I will share some um, stories about sort of my journey and how um, hopefully that will help, you know, people look at weight loss completely differently than what's, you know, being done right now. Yeah, obviously what most people are doing isn't working so well, so I I think it's time for a more holistic approach as well as I'm very curious about uh, sort of the terms you use there. So uh, one of the things I noticed is that um, you you say most weight loss focuses on tactics and not strategy, Uh, so what is your strategy and why is that so much more important than the tactics of weight loss? Sure. Yeah. So to me, just to sort of explain the difference, right? So tactics would be like, um, what are you eating? How are you eating? How do you combine the foods? You know what? And of course, you know, the last time I looked on Amazon, there's about uh, 10,300 <laughs> some odd different books on dieting. And so mm-hmm. 10,000 plus authors, you know, have packaged, you know, these tactics into their specific program. And so, and you can look at, you know, our general health as a nation, you know, decade to decade. It's definitely not, you know, greatly improving. In fact, it's worsening. Mm-hmm. And so I started to realize that, well, everyone's so focused on um, what to do, no one's really thinking about, well, what's the overall strategy? Meaning, forget what you're doing, but how are you even thinking about food? You know, what is the, what is the mindset in your relationship with food? And so what I found is that, so certain people where they're so focused on the tactical stuff, um, and essentially that's a diet, right? So you follow X program. You can name that program with with any name. Um, and the drawback to that is the the tactical stuff absolutely works when you're on it. And so, you know, in the last 26 years of talking to people who are into fitness and who want to lose weight themselves, I literally have yet to meet a person that stays with those tactics lifelong, right? And so... Mm-hmm. Those tactics become essentially tools. They're tools that you use, just like you use a wrench or a hammer. When you're done with it, you put it away. And so, yeah, I, I found that even personally when I was younger, I would use and always be looking for like the the next best best tactic, right? The next best tool, the the next best you know sort of diet plan that's going to give me the the best results. And so, mm-hmm. it was only through my own journey 
Um, and of course, in studying and understanding how the body works, where I started to take a step back and realize, like, wow, what was my, like, how was I treating food? You know, um, I mean, there's a point I, I share this story often where, in one point in my life, I would like bring my own food to restaurants because I wanted to control my calorie intake. It was like, <laughs> it was insane. I, I think back, I was like, what? What was I doing? And but you know, logically back then I was like, well, I I need to stick with this tactic, this this plan. And but I still wanted to participate socially. And so now um, it's just about strategy, right? So it's about when you're when you're eating your food, like what what do you you know what do you feel? Like what are the emotions? Like what is your relationship to food? Is it something that you feel like it's just proteins, carbs, and fats that you need to 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 live? Or is it something um, that you enjoy, you know, at the at the time that you're eating it, or or something in between, right? And so, really examining what is the overall feeling and relationship with food—that's sort of what I consider um, the strategy. Excellent. So, what is your relationship to food? I love it. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, I talk about all the time. I mean, these days I'll, I'll, I'll go and eat 10, 12, 15, 26 course meals um, at restaurants. Um, and, and I'm still able to maintain a, you know, same, if not lower body fat percentage compared to when I was younger, right? So I'm 40 now. And, you know, I, I feel like with improving my relationship with food, uh, it has helped me um, maintain and sustain a, a lower body fat percentage. And so I guess to answer your question specifically, what is my relationship? You know, so I, when I was younger, you know, I, you know, back then I sort of competed in, in bodybuilding, so lifted weights and I, I saw food purely as a tool, right? It was a thing that I needed. Like I needed a certain amount of proteins and a certain amount of carbohydrates and a certain amount of fats. And I would, I would manipulate it, right? It's very, uh, you know, it's almost like I, I use this analogy when I was at camp and I, I Camp Maverick and I spoke about this, which is imagine like your relationship with food is like a relationship with a person. It, it would be very weird to be like, you know, I'm only going to see you on the weekends, but I'm not going to see you Monday through Friday. And uh, oh, oh, wait, you, you, you know, your waist is too big. You can't come in. I can't I can't deal with you now. Like you don't you don't measure <laughs> your friends. Right. And you don't say like, um, oh, I haven't seen you all all week so this weekend i'm going to binge see you i'm going to see you as much as possible you know saturday and sunday right those, <laughs> those are like people like cheat days you know and um yeah and so it's, it's now my relationship with food i enjoy it right like i enjoy sometimes having a, a three-hour meal at a nice restaurant i enjoy you know the taste of food i eat it a lot slower i appreciate um and sort of more in tune, I guess, to the food, even as I'm eating it, and even how I feel um, with specific foods. You know, to, to get a little bit more detail, you know, I've, I've had blood work done to see which food sort of makes me inflammatory, so I make better choices with foods. But it's it's not. It's almost like um, it's about feeling good, and the side effect is you know weight loss and low body fat percentage, right? So whereas before the intention was to manipulate it for a certain look. Now the look is a side effect of this healthier, nurturing, loving relationship with food. Right. And would you say most people, uh, I guess at least in the U.S., have some sort of dysfunctional relationship with food? Is that like uh, part of the culture that we're brought up in? Or, I, yeah. Yeah, what do yeah. You I, I think so because, I mean, we deal with this all the time in the clinic here where, uh, so you know, literally just, just earlier, a couple hours, I, I was talking to a patient and I was talking about how, you know, like you want to get your vegetables in and you want to get these fruits in and, and eat these sort of healthy foods. And she was like, but that takes so much time. And I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's for your health, right? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, definitely in uh, this country especially, we are uh, um, so busy, right? And so everyone feels... I don't say everyone, but most people that I talk to feel like they are overwhelmed. Like there's, like they can't get their to-do list done. And so, what um, becomes a sacrifice is essentially their their nutrients, right? And so they don't mm -hmm. spend time. They feel like it's almost guilty, like eating a, you know, hour or two at a time. They're like shoving food down because they feel like they have to get back to doing other things. So yeah, I definitely feel like food. Um, is no longer, it's almost like they have a, a neglect 
type of relationship with food now. It's just something that they, they if they feel hungry, boom, they shove something down and they go in about their day. And that, you know, has uh, definitely long-term consequences on your body, of course. Okay, so I have a question about eating slowly because that's a really important facet of being able to enjoy food as well as, uh, you know, allowing your digestion to have the time and process rather than just dumping everything quickly and being stressed out while you eat. So how do people actually go about the process of eating slower? Because I know a lot of people, they know that cognitively they should do it, but when it comes time to sit down to a meal, uh, I guess they're in the habit of eating quickly. Yeah, so, you know, I usually like to address this from sort of both perspectives, right? So from a a high-level strategy perspective, it's really just sort of asking the person, you know, what is food to you? It sort of goes back to the relationship of food because if no matter what, if they view food simply as a, you know, a substance or a fuel, then, you know, they're always just going to scarf it down because they're on to the next thing. And so from the highest level, we really want to establish this mindset that, Food is is a part of your sort of living experience. It's not just something you manipulate, and it's not just something you need as fuel. It literally brings you know you know joy, hopefully, and happiness, and we have this amazing experience with it. And so, at the highest level, recognizing that it's experiential, right? And so that automatically should help you um, realize that as you're eating food, that is the the intention is interacting and experiencing with the food. It is not a side effect or a you know, something that you multitask and you're doing something else while you're scarfing food down, right? So that's sort of overall strategy. And then there's sort of tactical things, which is just setting the intention of, you know, slowing down, right? There's, you know, those programs on mindfulness eating where you sort of close your eyes and you chew X amount of times. They sort of make this process a very sort of calculated left brain process where you use these tactical things to to slow down eating. And really the way I look at it is both of those things should be in place to uh, to have it to be super effective. Okay. And I, I imagine this extends not just in the eating of food, but it really goes into the preparation, which is, I guess, one of the other issues around the whole issue of food, right? People aren't preparing their food. You're just grabbing what they can take on the go and then scarfing it down. But if you get engaged in that process, then that can extend into the eating of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, When you're involved in every aspect of the food in terms of preparing it, even shopping for the food and picking it out, it, it all sort of, you know, becomes part of the experience where exactly as you said, if you simply just buy something and you scarf it down, it sort of reinforces that it's simply a calorie, right? And so to me, food should be, this relationship is not something, again, that you're just using for energy because if you adopt that sort of strategy and that way of looking at food, that typically can be one of the root causes of poor health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you like to talk about the the your core values of eating. Could you go into detail about what those are and what they mean? Sure, yeah. So to me, again, if we look at food as this sort of relationship you want to nurture, well, like any relationship, um, you know, with life, with your work, uh, all of us have our current core values, right? They're sort of the guiding principles that allows us to choose sort of, you know, right or wrong and what sort of what serves us and what we want. And so uh, the three core values that I sort of, adopt um, sort of personally and the ones that I encourage um, are one, eating the rainbow slowly, two, which is the 80% healthy, 20% unhealthy foods, and then three would be essentially don't label foods as sort of bad foods, right? And then, um, and so we can sort of go over each one. Um, so the first one, which is eating the rainbow slowly, really is, you know, has a lot to do with what we just talked about, which is experiencing the food and consuming it slowly. Uh, from a physiological or from a body chemical perspective, simply by eating food slowly, it has a very different sort of chemical response, right? For example, if you're eating, you know, what most people consider a quote-unquote bad starch like pasta, um, there's a, a very big difference between consuming this bowl of pasta in five minutes versus one hour or even two hours, right? Because you don't have this large 
super big increase in carbohydrates all at once. Uh, like if you eat it in five minutes, if you eat it over a long period of time, your blood sugars don't get as elevated. And so therefore your body does not have to respond by, you know, putting out more sort of fat promoting, you know, sort of damaging uh, hormones like insulin if it's in too high levels. Uh, and so simply by slowing down the food, you can basically have the food nurture your cells and your body uh, much better. And then the rainbow simply just suggests different foods, right? Because most of the foods um, that are high in nutrients are, they have color. And you basically want to rotate those colorful foods because, uh, one, it makes sure you're getting all of your nutrients, right? So like yellow one day and purple one day and green one day. Um, the second reason is you basically want to avoid eating the exact same foods day in and day out because not only does that lead to nutrient imbalances, but by eating the same foods all the time, those foods now become pro-inflammatory for your body. They could be healthy foods like, you know, you take broccoli, for example. If you eat broccoli every day, over time, broccoli can actually cause inflammation in every cell in your body. Hmm. Did, how how does that work? Was the body just get used to something to the point where it doesn't like it anymore? Yeah, yeah. So if you really think about it, um, it's really only in recent history we have the capabilities to eat the same foods year-round, right? Because in right. the past, I mean, tens of thousands of years, we basically were forced to rotate foods. And so that's exactly what happens is where if you eat exactly the same foods day in and day out, your body develops this reaction. It's not the same as a food allergy where you have essentially what's called an antigen sort of released to attack the food. Your body actually releases basically inflammatory chemicals, right, as a response to just having too much of this. And I believe it's, you know, whether you be, believe in evolution or design, it's just a way your body's just saying, like, you got to eat different stuff. Like, we need different nutrients to fuel yourself. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay, let's, let, let's move on to the 80-20 rule. Okay. Yeah, so the 80-20 rule is about um, 80% healthy foods and 20% healthy foods. And so some people, when I tell them about this core value, they'll say things like, oh, I already do this. I have my, you know, Monday through Friday, I eat really clean. And on Saturday, Sundays, I have my cheat days. And so this sort of core value is designed to be much more flexible, right, because for example, you know, um, if 20% of the unhealthy foods, if we simply take three meals a day, seven days a week, that's about 21 meals. Let's just say it's 20. So you get basically have about four meals where you could pretty much eat any unhealthy foods that you want. Because if you're really eating healthy foods 80% of the time, the, the 20% really doesn't matter, right? And so it's not like you have to have all those four meals in one day. You know, you could have one on one Monday, one on Wednesday, one on and two on Saturday. And two, some people will say, well, let's say if I go on vacation, I eat unhealthy all week. Well, that's okay. You just zoom out and you eat healthy foods for the next four weeks. And so now it becomes 20% of a longer cycle, right? Instead of seven days, it could be 40 days. And it's really all designed to help manage uh, this mindset of, you know, being flexible and eating healthy. And, so, and also some people ask me, well, what's healthy? Well, instead of looking at, you know, uh, glycemic index and all kinds of details about food, I sort of simplify by just looking at healthy foods would be anything that hasn't been through a machine, right? Something that has not been processed, you know, manufactured. And then the other 20%, it doesn't matter. And so that sort mm -hmm. of simplifies the definition of healthy versus unhealthy, because I'm sure you know, pretty much every food that's been through a machine Unfortunately, some company has either added stuff to it, like chemicals, or taken away from it, which would be nutrients. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's important to note that health, healthy and unhealthy is not a black and white thing. Mm -hmm. There's This is an area where there's many, many, many shades of gray. Yes. So uh, I, I'm curious, have you found this with your clients and people you interact with? Because mm -hmm. I, I know I have personally and otherwise, uh, that as people do get into, let's say, the habit of eating more healthy and start, you know, focusing on just increasing what they're doing with that and, you know, starting to eat more vegetables, that sort of thing, yeah. that over time, you know, let's say they switch to organic from conventional foods and less packaged foods, <laughs> over time their healthier choices continue to get healthier, but their unhealthier choices get healthier as well yes. to some degree. Exactly. Yeah, the, the way I look at it, it's almost as if it's like, you know, practicing any activity, any sport, anything, as you improve 
your skill and your relationship with food, that's exactly what happens. It's almost like the sort of unhealthy foods, like they're the sort of lower, the lowest barometer, lowest, you know, benchmark of what's considered unhealthy increases. And like you said, their sort of um, unhealthy foods are actually healthier than what they considered unhealthy a year ago, five years ago, and 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it seems to me that this uh, 80% healthy, 20% unhealthy is a good way to keep that relationship to food uh, healthy rather than, like, let's say, leaning toward orthorexia, which is sort of this obsession with clean eating yeah. that uh, some people unfortunately get into uh, where it's can become problematic because, you know, there, there's those other aspects which you touch upon, like the social aspect of food uh, that's super important. And if you're so clean, you can't even go out to eat with other people, you know, that can begin to cause problems in other areas of your life. And overall, I'd say it's probably worse off for your health. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. And, you know, I want to mention that, I mean, I, I was at that point where when I was, you know, used to compete in, in bodybuilding, I was to, you know, mm -hmm. bring my own food uh, because I want to control the protein, carbohydrate, fat ratios and all this stuff to restaurants in this way, right? Like I could participate and hang out with my friends, but I would basically ask a server to microwave my food. It was like pretty imbalanced, right? And so having done that, it's almost like you have to, you know, sort of experience the imbalance to find balance. Right. Now it's, <laughs> it's just about finding a rule that fits. And so interestingly, now, you know, I'll go enjoy 26 course tasting meals and, you know, and go out to eat and not have to be concerned with it because I recognize that part of these core values, it's the 20%. And it's not like I'm, you know, avoiding certain choices. I'll eat basically what I, you know, that brings me joy. And I have this amazing time at dinner with no guilt because it falls into this core value of, you know, 80%, 20%. Yeah. I, I'm curious, do you personally eat would you say healthier at home and then sort of that 20% happens to be more of those meals out or when you're traveling in those sort of times? Yeah, definitely. Definitely when I'm yeah. at home, um, you know, my family, we, you know, over, again, over time um, have become healthier and healthier with our eating habits and our eating relationship. And so it would be very unusual for us to sort of have a um, unhealthy meal at home, but then sometimes it does. Sometimes if, you know, my mm -hmm. wife is is craving a pizza, I'll, we'll get a pizza, right? And so that counts as the 20% time. But you're right, it's the 20% usually is uh, when I'm traveling uh, or when I'm away. And um, when it's okay, you know, when I come back home, we just basically eat healthy for the other days and it all evens out. Right. So much easier to uh, eat healthily when you can control everything versus making it much more difficult. So it's, it's nice to be able to relax in those situations. And I find that's it's kind of what I naturally have gravitated to over time. Yeah, yeah, and, and right, and so this is, I mean, it's a great sort of segue to the next sort of core value, which is like don't label foods as bad. And to me, I mean, this really was created to solidify the intention of never feeling like you have to control everything or you feel guilt when you eat certain foods, right? Because, you know, in the past, I would talk to people who are on their weight loss journey and there's always this sense of, you know, because like, oh, cheesecake is bad or cheesesteak is bad. And, you know, I was joking. I was like, well, cheesecake never put a knife in its hands and killed anyone, right? It's not bad. <laughs> it's just, sure, it's less healthy than broccoli. But when they label these foods as bad and then, you know, over time, no matter what, they're going to eat it. Right. At some point, you're going to eat those labeled bad foods. And what it really is, just they're just unhealthy foods or less healthy foods. But because they label it as bad, after you eat it, there's always this sense of guilt and shame. Like, oh, I should not have eaten that. Or, oh, why am I so stupid? I can't believe I broke my, you know, quote, unquote, diet again. Or they'll have these planned you know, like I kind of mentioned previously, these planned bad eating days, they'll call it cheat days, right? And so, again, the language already suggests it's not good, right? It's a cheat. And, you know, I've talked to people in their 60s, and at some point, they're like, every day is a cheat day for me now because I just don't care, <laughs> right? And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. And so these core values were established to, to not end up with that mindset where they feel like they're constantly burdened with this load of trying to to eat good and it's a it's a very fighting type relationship where um, you know requires a lot of work and, and and restraint and I feel like with these core values you can basically have a healthy open relationship that's not about restraint it's just about um, you know healthy choices for you and then when you eat less healthy foods it's okay 
Right. So I'm curious, and maybe this gets a little more into the tactical, but sort of based on this strategy, if a person has been, you know, fighting themselves about eating, quote unquote, bad foods all the time, and, you know, they're they're piling on guilt and shame about it, and they've done this for many years, uh, you know, just introducing them to this idea may help, but a lot of people, it, it's sort of that habitual thought pattern. Yeah. So how, how do you help people to get away from that and towards avoiding guilt and shame around food. Yeah. So interestingly, it, it all goes back to, um, I guess I, I these days tend to approach both things, right, from a, a high-level sort of strategy belief system. And then, of course, mm-hmm. we address tactical, habitual action steps. And so from a highest level, we, I mean, really, it's, it's one of those discussions where, one, we sort of create um, and, you know, a safe space for them to talk about this, because what we're about to get into is, is you know, quote unquote, deep, right, which is why this pattern, like why this, this sort of cycle of, you know, sort of guilt and shame. And many times when we sort of lead down that path, the discussion involves, uh, you know, like just their beliefs about themselves, right? And, and we typically find that at some point in their life, um, and I'll give you a good example. So I, I talked to um, a, a patient uh, two weeks ago, and he was, you know, asking me about, oh, you know, um, diets and things. And he's like, you know, I think I'm going to go on Weight Watchers because it works. And, you know, he's about 40 pounds overweight right now, and he said it works. I was like, well, it it worked in the past to take weight off, but you put it back on, so it really didn't work. And so he was so, <laughs> like, he wanted, you know, again, tips and, and tactics, and I could just tell – um, he was almost like as if you're you're sort of giving power away. Like I need these programs, and that's the only way I need to lose weight. And so typically, when I hear that, there's something else going on. And so I basically asked him, like, you know, how do you feel when you eat food? Like, what emotions? And really, that um, type of questioning led to, you know, like five whys later, led to um, he when he was young, he would use food as a way to rebel against his mom. And so that's a biggie because yeah. if, if that's your relationship with food, it was a tool that you used to show, to assert your, your independence, then that has to be addressed, right? Because no matter what tactical things we, we try to implement, those root beliefs and root relationships with food will always manifest, manifest itself into some type of eating difficulty. And so, you know, we had to have a discussion about that and sort of reframing that sort of original relationship with food. And then we talk about some tactical things, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so to me, it's really always sort of going deep. And, you know, if you have any any listeners, you can sort of self-do this in a way, right? Just kind of write down, like, what is your relationship with food? Like, what feelings um, do you have when you eat X food versus X food? And that will sort of open up the gates and and help people kind of see where where is this coming from. Excellent. Yeah, I, th- I think when you can really sort of marry together that higher level, uh, you know, the beliefs and the values and how that influences just about everything we do, and then you sort of back that up with the behavioral things, mm-hmm. I really see a lot of magic yeah. in that. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like it's like the yin and yang, the you know, mm-hmm. the dichotomy, like approaching from both ends. To me, it's basically like a, a more holistic approach to to address anything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I definitely have seen things like that worked with some clients. Unfortunately, uh, this seems to be the case in many cases, but uh, like women having sexual abuse when they're right. younger and they, uh, as a sort of protective mechanism, you know, if yeah. they can put on weight, they'll be less attractive and maybe that won't happen again. So yeah. there can be all kinds of different issues really at the bottom of food. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I agree. Like every Almost every diet book out there does not address yep. the stuff that really is going to change a person's lifestyle. I, I like your uh, what you told that guy there, you know, with the Weight Watchers. He was able to, you know, lose the weight, but it, it was not a, like a permanent change from inside, so the weight came back. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, it, it goes back to I had mentioned that because he's like, oh, it works. I was like, why, why are you going to Weight Watchers? Like, because it works. And I was like, well, I had to help him realize, well, it didn't because the weight came back <laughs> on. You know, right. and so yeah, it's, it's so many people don't realize because they're so fixated on simply getting from A to B, and there's almost no thinking about well, how do I stay at B? Right? They're so focused mm-hmm. on just that destination and not about how how to stay there. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm curious, uh, we, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of the relationship of time versus eating, and I, I imagine you see that that's a, a big issue with a lot of people is they're, they're placing higher value on being productive or having to work or uh, their families uh, than their own eating. So is there any sort of takeaway ideas people can put into practice, or would you say the same sort of thing of exploring that relationship of time versus eating? Yeah, definitely. I, I truly believe that um, another sort of core value or belief that really should be thought through and explored by everyone would be their relationship with time and self, right? And so we, we find that if, and this is very common, let's say, in mothers who um, have a belief that every, like I have to take care of my family first and everything has to be done for them and essentially whatever's left, then you know I'll spend it on myself. And what ends up happening is they literally feel like they're on the hamster wheel more so than any you know business professional or whatnot mm-hmm. because you can't clock out of being mom. There's no clocking out of that. And right. yeah, and that's a very common one. So they feel like they're literally um, sacrificing their time for their family. And and so the belief is that's their role. The belief is that that serves their family. The belief is that that makes them a better mom and not realizing that the inadvertent effect of that is they're teaching their family that you need to sacrifice and you need to not take care of yourself. You know, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we, we really talk through um, that process with them, help them realize that actually the best thing you can do is to lead by example and show them how to self-love and self-nurture and basically spend the time you know, on self-love. And that's basically, you know, enjoying time with food, enjoying time getting a massage, enjoying time for self. So that's a, yeah, that's a very common one, their relationship with self and, and time and realizing that we all have the same amount of, you know, 24 hours a day. It's just where you see the priority and where do you want to spend, you know, your time. Right, because actually, if you think long term, it's uh, being an even better mom would be spending time on yourself so that your children pick up those beliefs from you. Because exactly. uh, the, the family is really where most of our beliefs end up coming from. Exactly. Yeah, I, I'm curious. Are there some other common beliefs or belief patterns that you see in people that, uh, if you shared them, you know, maybe some people listening to this would say, "Oh, yeah, that that's the case for me." Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely um, a common one would be, um, uh, you know, I'm not worthy of happiness. It's a pretty deep one. You know, um, we actually come across this uh, uh, quite a bit. And, um, I mean, definitely more common um, in women, just, you know, based on my experience of doing this for about 20 years. Um, some other common root beliefs that are common would be, uh, I'm just too busy, right? And so we kind of talked about that. Um, some other deeper beliefs we come across would be, um uh, just, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, um, when you're young, um, parents inevitably do this, right? You're told, like, finish your food, right? Like, mm-hmm. even if you're if you're full, your parents don't realize that. They just think maybe you're just playing too much or for whatever reason, you're like, finish your food. So there's definitely um, a, a common belief would be like, don't waste food. Whatever's on my plate, no matter what. I have to finish it. Right. Because of the starving children in Africa. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> right. I have to eat this so other people don't starve, which makes no sense, right? Um, that, that's a pretty common one, yeah. Um, I'm just thinking some common other common ones I've dealt with. I'm, I'm really, in general, I, I feel like um, a great exercise that anyone can do is just you know self-analysis and, and sort of journal and just kind of write down, like, you know, um, what are my beliefs with food and what are beliefs myself and what beliefs about them um, may be sort of an obstacle towards me getting and sustaining good health, you know. And I think sort of that journaling process of self-discovery um, is very powerful to hash out, you know, what are those deep beliefs that may be holding you back. Okay, excellent. So, yeah, ex- exploring that belief, obviously that's a process that can take a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and is probably an ongoing process. You don't necessarily sit down one day. And, right. <laughs> you know, even if you spend multiple hours, you're not going to get to the root of everything because uh, beliefs are really subconscious processes. Yeah. But uh, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk, I guess, about habits. So mm-hmm. let's say a person has sort of found out these beliefs and really has 
is working towards changing their strategies, their thoughts, their thoughts in eating. What okay. what are the habits you try to instill in people that can help them move from you know eating predominantly unhealthy towards uh, this eighty twenty and uh, having a good relationship with their food? Yeah, I mean when it comes to the tactical stuff, what I usually like to do is to find out. It's almost like if we're if we're trying to improve their eating skill and like any skill training, we sort of want to measure where is their current skill level at, right? And so usually through some questioning, we kind of just get an idea of what their what their current eating skill is. And for example, um, you know, at the lowest level, like if you're a ultra beginner in eating skill, which essentially means your eating habits right now are pretty poor, that would be someone you know who maybe completely skips breakfast has some kind of takeout for lunch, and then at dinner, again, some kind of like horrible takeout food. Uh, at the highest level would be like, you know, as soon as you wake up, you're eating every three hours, and the protein, carbs, and fats ratios are balanced, and you're eating the rainbow, and, you know, and at that point, um, you know, we just work on sort of timing of nutrients and, and specific nutrients, and so anywhere in between. And what I would like to do uh, is kind of just talk about, well, how do you how do you give the right matching advice to that person? And so, for example, if it's someone who is skipping breakfast, you know, some of the tactical things I would just say is like eat breakfast, right? Like anything doesn't matter if it's a, a, a Twinkie, an egg, um, anything, just to get into the habit of consuming something uh, when you wake up because it's pretty important, you know, physiologically to get the nutrients. Uh, into your body. And so let's say if they did that for, you know, a couple weeks and they're now sort of used to consuming now at least breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they have the habit of consuming something, now we'll work on sort of, you know, we'll call it cleaning up the, the, the food, right? We might say, you know, try to add in one serving of vegetables somewhere in there, right? And then we can talk about, you know, there's so many vegetables out there, there's got to be one that you like, and we sort of find that one, and we kind of add that in. And once they sort of have that for a couple of weeks, we would work on some other things, right? So it's a very sort of gradual process that matches um, where their person's current eating habits are, and just making small enough of a change that is um, impactful, but not so overwhelming that they feel like they're dieting, right? Right. Yeah. And so, go ahead. Because the end goal is the, a lifestyle change, not just to lose a certain amount of weight, exactly. uh, as is most diets for a certain period of time, in which case it will come back. But uh, with the habits, when you're starting really small, like, like you said, even eating a Twinkie yeah. for breakfast, <laughs> as long as that's not your end point, you know, right. uh, you're going somewhere with that. But that that can build in that habit that can get it started so that then you can begin to move forward rather than, as you're saying, trying to make uh, 50 huge changes. Yeah. All at once. yeah, because every program out there says that, which is um, drop how you're eating and eat this, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank program, right? And so, right. and that's why every program out there never is life sustaining, right? And so, because they don't take into account how the person's eating now and then make these sort of small adjustments, right? And so it's, it's imagine if I like, you know, I put out a, I don't know, weightlifting program. It says drop what you're doing and bench 400 pounds right now. Well, <laughs> that might fit some people, but most people, it might kill them. And mm -hmm. it's just unsustainable. Right? It's just such a big change that your body doesn't, and mind really doesn't have time to sort of adapt to it, right? And so that, mm -hmm. that's the way I see it, is that it's just about these little healthy habit increases and, um, and really just um, shifting the mindset from I, the, the goal isn't weight loss, right? If the people may want weight loss, they should set goals of these behavior changes and, and gradual improvements in eating, and then weight loss will come as a side effect, and it will be permanent. Right. By focusing on process, you get to your outcome much better than if you just focus directly on the outcome. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple habits there, like eating breakfast, eating frequently, eating vegetables. Are there uh, any other habits that you like to build, maybe a little more advanced ones that you have in there? Sure. Yeah, so you know, those were um, would be appropriate for sort of your you know, beginner level, we'll call it, um, mm -hmm. eaters. Yeah, so if, if you have someone that's already, let's say, getting 
you know, three meals, then we would try to increase the number of meals, right? And so in a pretty healthy meals, three healthy meals, now we would try to increase the number of meals to get uh, a more steady influx of nutrients into your body, right? Because sometimes between breakfast and lunch could be, you know, six hours. And if you just look at the physiology of food, um, your body basically can burn up some of the nutrients from breakfast and you're going to want something, you know, in between, right? So for those people, we get it in some healthy snacks. You know, you're, you're, we're basically going towards that ideal, like, eat, you know, every three or so hours to sort of fuel your body with constant influx of nutrients. Uh, whereas if someone is already eating, you know, let's say five meals a day, you know, to have their breakfast, lunch, and dinner and sort of snacks in between, then we would look at, well, w- what are you eating? Right? At that point, if you have the frequency dialed in, now we look at composition. And so we would look at, um, you know, are your choices of your protein sources, your carbohydrate sources, and even your vegetable source, sources, how can we improve upon that? Um, and to give you a little bit more specific example, if someone's carbohydrate cho- choices is coming from, let's say, I don't know, um, um, brown rice, and they really want to, you know, lose more body fat or, you know, eat healthier, we might suggest incorporating more like lentils and beans, right, stuff with a little bit more fiber, a little bit more filling. Um, It's just basically a way to, uh, you can have the same volume of food, like if you're eating a cup of rice right now, and we simply replace that with a cup of, let's say, lentils or beans, you're basically cutting 30% calories without cutting down volume, right, because of the fiber in the beans and the lentils. And so those would be a little bit more higher level um, stuff. And then let's say if someone has all that dialed in and they want to eat that much better, then we can look at, well, all right, you know, what are your vegetables that you're eating? And if you're eating certain ones that you're used to, we can kind of, I don't know, maybe it's like peas and, and, you know, green beans. And maybe we can look at, well, what are some sort of higher nutrient level more colorful foods and how can we add different colors now um, really into your your eating plan and if someone has that dialed in then you know because of their foundation of nutrition is amazing then maybe we talk about you know you know adding supplements and adding things to further enhance your physiology your life your energy levels and what you're trying to accomplish yeah i really like just kind of Having listened to this whole call, you, really the foundation is focusing on why and how you eat, mm-hmm. and then from there you start focusing on when, and kind of the last part is what you eat, yep. uh, whereas that what you eat is, you know, that's what everyone focuses right. in on, not realizing the importance of those other factors. Definitely. Yeah, very cool. So uh, another area that I guess we've it, – it's definitely – part of the whole relationship to food, but I guess sort of the, a relationship to our gut mm-hmm. and being able to listen to our body and our gut. And I mean, we have what, 10 trillion bacteria yeah. cells, right? Yeah, and yeah. there's more of them than there is human cells. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, eating is not just about us, but we're actually, you know, feeding them with the food that we eat as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I've started to think about, we're kind of like a shepherd in that way mm-hmm. that uh, our health is also their health and vice versa. So uh, could you speak to this and, and maybe any sort of ways that people can get better in tune with listening to their gut? Yeah, yeah, it's really fascinating. You know, I, I believe I was reading research. They, um, the scientists believe that in the future, you know, like we currently have blood typing. In the future, mm-hmm. they're going to have like bacteria typing, right? Because yeah. uh, those of us with predominant strains, it really governs our, our health big time. Uh, yeah. yeah, so it's fascinating. Um, as far as, you know, I guess strategies and, and tactics to listen to our gut, you know, it, a lot of it we've sort of touched upon, which is uh, we have to be able to slow down, right? Because if we're mm-hmm. if we're on Facebook on our phone while we're chewing our food, <laughs> your your brain's probably not in any way in touch with what your sort of gut is, is telling you. And right. so, at, again, at sort of the highest level is just being present, um, you know, with the food, with the experience itself, because without that, there is no, there is no, you know, sort of communication, I guess, between your brain and your gut. And and once you have that in place, it's really just being really in tune to sort of the feelings, right? Because it's not, it's not really going to be words, right? It's not like Apple is going to be like popping in your brain as you're doing stuff. It's it's more of a, it's almost like a feeling, and that's sort of like the intuition mm-hmm. aspect of this. 
And the more you listen to your intuition and these feelings, eventually then becomes clear. It can become, you know, colors and words and, and more distinct. But in the beginning, it's gonna it's gonna feel like these vague feelings. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and so to me, that's like sort of listening to your the process, I guess, of listening to your your gut. I, I definitely um, believe that we are, you know, getting a little bit slightly off topic, but our consciousness and, of course, the, the bacteria, it's sort of all part of our mm-hmm. being, um, is very all-knowing. And if we are just present to sort of this higher level knowledge um, of infinite wisdom, it would basically will tell us, you know, what our body needs. Yeah, I, I believe that as well. It's kind of just how we've been raised and, you know, not necessarily our parents' fault, but it was probably much the same for them. But especially in our modern day culture, uh, we've gotten away from this focusing on how we eat and why we eat. And if you are merely present at the moment, then, you know, your, your body will say, you know, okay, I'm actually full rather than you're keep eating until you're finished with your plate because of those starving kids in Africa. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> and you, you don't even think about it. I, I have literally, I can recall times in the past when I've eaten something and been like reading or watching something and, not tasted the food, not realized that I even had food. Yeah. And I know that's that's definitely not the best way because really having that presence and being in tune with your body, I feel it's actually going to help coordinate the digestion better, even though that's yeah. really a subconscious process. Yeah. That's all going to work much better than uh, if you're focusing on anything else while you're doing it. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and to recognizing that it, this goes back to the 80-20 rule, like if 80% mm-hmm. were able to eat healthy and be present, the other 20%, feel free to scarf it down while you're talking, yeah. <laughs> watching Facebook, watching sports, right? Because right, that's good. Right? Because yeah. it's almost like an imbalance to it's almost like I have to be a hundred percent present hundred percent of the time. That's just not realistic. Right? right. And so that goes back to like the eighty, you know, eighty twenty rule. Yeah. Right. So I I'm curious I I've been thinking about this a little bit, you know, obviously being present with your food is great, but we also know that it's great to be in a social atmosphere, you know, having fun with friends or family while you eat, um, where obviously your attention isn't as much on the food in that time. So how do those two relate? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you said, so just this past Tuesday, you know, I started organizing this, I try to be clever, I call it a badasses breaking bread. So basically, <laughs> I, uh, I organize these dinners where we get entrepreneurs from my area together and we pick, well, I pick a uh, fancy restaurant, uh, typically with a tasting menu, multiple courses. And then, right, like we're, we're interacting, it's like a three-hour experience and we're talking while we're eating and sometimes there's, you know, wine pairing. Um, and so, interesting that you said this because uh, this past Tuesday was one of those events and what I noticed was that when the food came out and, you know, we sort of were taking our bites, like there was this it was almost like a moment of silence, right? Like we like, yeah. I always feel like when one person does it, it kind of leads, you know, almost like mirroring the other people would do it. They kind of like in the moment they're, they're with that food. And of course, you know, you come out of that and you're interacting, but then in the moment as you're eating the food, you're fully experiencing the food. So mm-hmm. I feel like, again, it goes back to it doesn't have to be 100% present during the whole meal. You can sort of play with this, right? As long as you're, you're um, during the meal at some point, you know, fully immersed in the experience and, and relating to that food. Um, again, it doesn't have to be 100% time it worked. Yeah, right. and I kind of was sort of stepping back and kind of noticing people that that was essentially is the case. I mean, it, of course, it definitely helps mm-hmm. when the food is amazing. <laughs> right. And that that really makes sense for the, you know, having a one hour, two hour, three hour long meal. Yeah. If you're doing that by yourself, you know, that's <laughs> that's kind of a long time to do it by yourself. But right. when you're with people, you know, then you, you have the conversation yeah. then you have a bite and you can eat present. So that that's very cool. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if we talked about this. So um, when I was in Italy with a, a programmer, we had actually brainstormed this idea where you can leverage things like Google Hangout where, you know, I don't know if you're eating at. 6 p.m. You could like go on social media, like, "Hey, I'm about to eat. Let's let's hop on a, a hangout." <laughs> and you know, you're now not eating by yourself. You have your food. Everyone else has their food, and you're you know connecting with your friends. Um, and as you're eating, and now what it does automatically, it will slow down your eating because you can't talk and chew at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. And two, you can always you know because you you have the food in front of you, 
you can again interplay and mix that social interaction and then being present with the food as well. It was a pretty pretty cool way to hack it. Yeah, that's a good idea. I never thought of that. So actually using our screens and technology to our benefits and eating here. Yeah. That's really cool. So a digital uh, badasses break. That's break right. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, I think we're coming up upon an hour here. So uh, in, any final thoughts that you have that uh, maybe something we missed in this conversation? Yeah, and sort of I alluded to the sort of um, supplement thing, which is, I mean, a lot of people, oh, should I take this and should I take that? And, you know, I I definitely am not a big fan of just like, I don't know, if if people want to lose weight, just taking a fat burner because, one, many of them are not the healthiest things to take. Right. Uh, right. And, and yeah, none of that for supplements for weight loss, you know, that's really, you know, maybe like the, the last 1% exactly. <laughs> really need to focus on the foundational things of food and exercise first. Exactly. Right. And so that, that would be, if, if I were to drive a point home, aside from, you know, this is all about relationship with food itself is that don't rely on um, tools until you have a great foundation um, in place. And once you do, then yeah, I mean, supplements can be amazing. There are so many benefits of different uh, supplements to sort of help you enhance your, your being. Uh, but mm-hmm. of course, you, you want to put in the, the practice and, and go through enough of a journey where um, you know there's a good foundation of a, a relationship, a solid relationship with self and food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, speaking of uh, relationship, I mean, with the herbs and different things I've done, like sitting with the plant and actually kind of building that relationship with the herb. Uh, Obviously, a lot of the supplements at Superman Herbs aren't necessarily the culinary ones that you kind of have with food, though some can be used that way. But that speaks to sort of another level of this relationship with food. So if, if you ask any top chef, you know, what's their favorite spice? You know, they all they all have one sure. that they really like, and probably several different ones. They kind of built that relationship to it, which I'd say really plays into everything we've talked about today. I agree. I mean, there's definitely times where if I look at an amazing dish, there's this. There's definitely. I don't want to say it's the same love that I have for my wife, but there's definitely some <laughs> serious love for for an amazing plate of food going on. Um, and you know, and anyone that has that, you know, really good food, when you put that food in your mouth, it is, there's, there's emotions. Like you can't deny the, the amazing, you know, emotions of joy, bliss, happiness mm-hmm. that comes with it. And yeah, so it's, it's really amazing that you kind of sit down and, and sort of have that before it's in your mouth, right? With the, with the herb, because yeah, that's, mm-hmm. it's all about that. It's all about the relationship with, with, you know, earth and just with food. Absolutely. All right, well, Steve, uh, where can people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so uh, I have a website. Um, it's um, drsteveyoung.com, just drsteveyoung.com. Uh, I have um, yeah, some articles on there, uh, tons of videos, anything relating to health, um, proper exercise techniques, uh, mindset, happiness things, basically whatever, whatever sort of comes in my brain. I hop in front of the camera, talk, and, and put it on there. Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Had a lot of fun. I know we had some hiccups getting this together, but uh, I I think people will very much enjoy it. It's a message that isn't enough out there, and it really needs to be. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, we appreciate reviews on iTunes or just feedback on the show in general. You can always email that in. Love to hear from you. Hope you really enjoyed this, and we'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Thanks.